You have to go through this journey of living. You have to live your life, you know? At some point in time, you have to tell your parents or your loved ones or whoever, nah, you know what? I'm not gonna listen to you. I'm gonna go in this direction and see where it takes me. Welcome to episode 36 of the Assyrian Podcast. It's John, and this time I'm taking you into the mind of artist Rebel Betchmul. I myself have never been good at drawing, painting, or sculpting. So when I get to sit down with an artist who has mastered all of those things, I'm in pure awe. We talked about the art bug hitting Rebel at a very young age, how he decided to pursue art in college and professionally, his foray into music production, how he feels when he sees his work in other people's homes, and what he's doing to help bring along the next generation of passionate Assyrian artists. I strongly encourage everyone listening to check out rebelbetshmuel.com. You can read his detailed bio, check out some of his work, and what he has for sale in his shop. His site even includes a couple of free downloads. Before we begin, I want to remind you that you can download and subscribe to the Assyrian podcast on just about any smartphone podcast app, and of course, iTunes. Please give us a rating and leave us a review on iTunes whenever you get the chance. That helps us out immensely. If you haven't already, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. DM us or email us at assyrianpodcast at gmail.com with any comments or suggestions about guests or what you would like to hear on the podcast. A huge thank you, of course, to everyone that has done all of the above, and even if you haven't but continue to listen, or even if this is your first time listening, we truly appreciate your support, and we plan on continuing to give you quality weekly episodes of some wonderful Assyrians. Support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Kalagarakis and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kalagarakis. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. Rebel, you are both a designer and an artist. You mention in your biography on your website that you began drawing at the age of 10. What were some of the things that you drew at that age? I was drawing a lot of Ninja Turtles and Wing Bulls, believe it or not. Yeah, those were, those were some of the things that I was gravitating to the most. Comic books too, you know, uh, anything from Marvel, I, I liked a lot. So I, I was drawing, you know, Wolverine or any of the X-Men. Uh, but yeah, Ninja Turtles and a lot of wing bulls as well. Did you ever at that age like combine the two where you made a, let's say, an Assyrian version of Wolverine or anything like you that? You know, there was a concept, and, and I, I, it's somewhere in my, in my archive, where I, I started to design a Assyrian version of a Ninja Turtle. Nice. Yeah. So at, at that early age, I was fascinated with, like, how do I combine my culture with this adopted culture that that, sure. that I became a part of, right. you know? Um, so, so yeah, I, I was always trying to figure out a way to, to Assyrianize this American experience that I was a part of, you know? And then I was also at the same time playing with a lot of Legos, right? I, I've been always a tinkerer and a maker, so Legos gives you that opportunity to build, take apart, and then rebuild as well. An award that you won in high school, this is obviously now a few years into your drawing and your love of art. In high school, they gave you an award that gave you the motivation to pursue art in college. What was the art that earned you that award? Was it one specific thing or your whole body of work in that year of high school? I think it was my body of work that I produced in high school. You know, my single and greatest achievement in high school was getting that art award. You know, I was a terrible student, 
barely graduated high school. I mean, I, I was I was not a kid that liked school back then. You know, thank God for college, right? Like you go to college and then you find yourself through that experience. But yeah, it was just a body of work. I was doing ceramic work back in 1995. I was I was tinkering with digital art. You know, one of our our classrooms. Uh, in the art department had had Photoshop, like a very early version of Photoshop on a on a very old Macintosh. So I started to teach myself that program. I started to teach myself Illustrator. I basically was going to art class my senior year two, three times a day just to stay busy. And the teacher saw that, Mr. Davis saw that, that I really had a passion for art and they gave me the art department accolade for, for my graduating year. Um, so yeah, it was just the drive and the work ethic that really won me that award. Did your art teacher also inspire you in any way, or was he just more of a, um, a method of sort of, uh, nurturing your talent? A little bit of both. You know, I think he showed an early interest in my culture, being a Syrian and me having to explain to him who the Syrians are and, and their past and, and what they've gone through and their current time where they're at. He was really interested by that, right? And so he kind of, you know, mentored me throughout the process of becoming a better artist, looking at things that I wasn't aware of, you know, improving my skills and giving me access to the classroom. I mean, like I said, I was was in that class two, three times a day, five days straight. So I had my own little room where I was able to go in and create work, leave it there, come come back and forth as I pleased. Did you ever find yourself in a situation where you thought pursuing art in college was just going to be unacceptable and you had to do like business or law or anything like that and you were kind of scrambling to decide what else to do or was it just art or bust? No, man, that that was exactly what I ended up going through. You know, I I was a business major initially. Because there, there is an entrepreneurial spirit within me, right? So I wanted to study business and then minor in graphic design. But to be honest with you, that stuff just bored me. You know, I took an economics class, I took an accounting class, and I barely got through it. Barely got through it. I mean, the, the credit doesn't even count because I got like a C or a D in the class or something, you know? So I gravitated towards art. I, I didn't really want to be an artist when I was in college, you know? This thing pulled me and I went went along for the ride. Uh, took a chance and then, you know, you, I, I made it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm doing pretty good right now. Can't complain. You know, there's a lot more work to be done, but art pulled me and I stayed with it. So you're originally an econ major and then you switch what was the reaction of both your friends and your family when you decided to pursue art professionally and as a degree as well? A lot of hesitation, right? They're like, what are, what are you doing? <laughs> I almost hate to say it, but it's like typical Assyrian reaction, What are reaction, you doing, right? you yeah. know? Especially for my parents, right? Like, hey man, you know, is this is this gonna gonna work out? Are you gonna be able to, 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 to live off of this thing? As I've gotten older, I've come to understand their viewpoint as well. You know what I mean? This is a tough field to get into, but if you're if you're um, if you're persistent and you're passionate about your art, the money's gonna flow, right? I mean, I don't want to sound like a hip hop artist or something. But the self belief has to the be self belief right? has to be there. You know, you you if the if the passion is there, the money will come. And I tell that to every aspiring young Assyrian artist. That's the last thing you need to worry about, right? So there was a lot of hesitation from my family side. My friends often would give me blank stares because, you know, among our group of friends, how many friends do you have that you grew up with that uh, told you, hey, man, I'm, gonna, I'm planning on being an artist? Not many, right? No. So it was very new. It was a very new experience to them, too. They're like, all right, cool. You know, a lot of them, though, over the years accepted that I was an artist. You know what I mean? And we would go out to social functions and they would introduce me as, hey, this is Rebel, my artist friend, which, oh, is, wow. which is a pretty big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? They've, they've finally accepted you and what you're doing and, and it's pretty cool. Also, I had two uncles that were artists. So it ran in the family a little bit. Kind of, right? So my uncle Shneemun Bichmuel is a great musician, has, 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 a, has four albums you know, under his belt. And then my other uncle, Robin Bichmuel, is a writer. Right, he's a he's a poet 
he's written, he's published over 12 books. So both of these men were, were very much accomplished in, in the field of art, right? The only piece that was missing from our family was that visual side. So I wanted to fulfill it. I wanted to make sure that in the, in the family, we have a musician, we have a writer, and then a visual artist. And we'll actually dig into the other two aspects later because you're not completely devoid of the musical side or the written side and the reading side either. You're not, no. you're not just a man of paint and <laughs> uh, art design on the computer either. But before right. all of that even happened, when you were a little kid, you mentioned that your earliest career goal was to be an astronaut. Do you ever kind of think back sometimes and wonder how different your life would have been if you were an astronaut? Yeah, I'm still trying to be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> Some dreams never die. No, they don't. And, and, and I'm trying to be an astronaut through my work, right? And, and uh, you know, that being in space, you know, uh, the solitude and the imagination that one can experience is a beautiful thing. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to be an astronaut. I have a buddy of mine, Ninos, who is, it lives out in Cali. Um, you know, he's, he just wrapped up his master's in astronomy and, um, he also has a deep appreciation for art as well. And, and, and we often talk about this intermingling that often happens between science and art, you know, and, and he exposes me to new ideas and I expose him to new ideas. And, and, um, you know, you find inspiration in places that you never thought you would, right? Like, you don't necessarily need to go to a museum to find inspiration. You could be on a bike going downhill and experience something wonderful through that experience, you know? At the age of, you were roughly about eight, you and your family fled from Iraq and made your way to the United States, uh, first via Iran, Syria, and eventually Greece. Do you have any memories from what I would imagine was a very turbulent time in such a, a young person's life? Yeah, Iran, not so much, other than remember, I remember my mom having to wear a hijab, right? In Iran, in Greece, uh, I remember my dad uh, forcing me to go to school and taking us out to see the Parthenon and all these ancient Greek ruins and museums and this and that. And nude beaches too. Okay, that was another another thing that uh, that I experienced as a young kid because we used to go to the islands and visit them and that sort of thing. So uh, I remember seeing all these things and experiencing all these new things, and for the first time in my life, kind of getting a taste of what freedom could potentially be like. So did that inspire any of your later art? I think a little bit. Yeah, you know, I I'm I'm slowly starting to gear myself towards more autobiographical work. Our time in Greece as a family was really a wonderful time, but it was also strewn with some difficulties as well. You know, there was there was um, just, you know, we're, we're an immigrant family where we were making our way to America. Um, just a lot of stuff happened in Greece that that made that journey a lot more difficult. Right, but the the Greek family across the street uh, f from where we lived helped us out a lot. You know, they um, their young daughter was my middle sister's um, godmother. They helped us, uh, you know, with whatever we needed. So so there was a lot of you know a lot of help coming from from the neighborhood to to to, to kind of get us to where we needed to go. You recently, from what I understand, did go back to Iraq on a visit. Uh, where about did you visit? So I went to Iraq. I just came back actually last week. I went to Iraq for maybe about, I think it was five or six days for my cousin's wedding. You know, I, I visited Erbil. I, we, we, we went to and visited Deshtet Ninwe, several villages there, a monastery, an ancient archaeological site uh, that had uh, Assyrian reliefs. I went to Dohok, uh, Nahadra. Uh, I went also to the village of Bebede, where my family is from. And, and Bebede was, uh, was the village that was not only bombed by Saddam, but um, also the people of Bebede have since rebuilt the village, right? Uh, wow. It's a vibrant village, um, you know, dozens of homes there, um, you know, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of farming, a lot of produce. You go, you know, from a tree, you can pick whatever you want, whether it's a pomegranate or a fig, you know. Um, it's, it's, it was just a wonderful experience. 
did you find in the middle of all of that, you know, your cousin's wedding, visiting all these places, that you were absorbing any inspiration for future art during those five or six days? Yeah, a lot, actually. Yeah, a lot. Um, took a lot of pictures, took a lot of notes, just observed, listened, um, tried to soak it all in. And it was a short time, right? Like when people usually go to Iraq, they're there maybe for about two or three weeks. Sure. But, you know, I had a condensed time frame. I knew exactly what I was looking for. I, I prepared myself and um, through the through the research that I did there, through the pictures that I took, the things that I saw, the people that I listened to, I, I'm bringing it back here now and I'm kind of trying to organize it and sift through it and, and understand what do I want to do with this material, right? So for instance, I went to the Rabban Hermas uh, Monastery uh, near Al-Qush. It's an ancient uh, monastery and you go, th- you, it, it's, it's a monastery that was built in the mountain. So it's caves upon caves and then it's you a pretty know, you big make hike. your way up there. It's a pretty big hike up there. You, you take the car up there now, but it, it, it's up there. Um, so I, I went into this monastery and I saw a lot of designs of ancient crosses that were designed in the shape of a cross, but every single cross had some form of a certain ancient Assyrian element in it. Whether it was the lotus flower or the daisy flower or some other element that they used, that they borrowed and from it created a a cross shape. And so what I want to do at some point is preserve those 13 crosses that I photographed and potentially um, make some, some form of art out of them. Was that something that you noticed right away when you saw these crosses, or was it somebody from the the town that pointed it out to you? No. So we we went to the monastery, and you make your way through, and it's a uh, you know it's, it's it's caves upon caves, and you're tunneling through this thing, and and um, you get to a point where it's an open space, and you you experience all those crosses in that open wow. space, and it's, uh, it, it was really a beautiful experience. You mentioned in your biography on your website, rebelbetchmull.com, that experimentation, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, is at the heart of your creative process and that it teaches you to embrace your mistakes. Is that something you apply strictly to your art or does that apply to your other aspects of life as well? Strictly to my art. Yeah, strictly to my art. With life, I'm a lot more strategic. Sure. I put my designer hat when it comes on when it comes to my life, you know, with how I want to deal with, you know, the people around me, my finances, my career, what are my goals? It's very, I have a very strategic outlook. Keep a broad outlook when you're doing the art, but then when it comes to real life, for lack of a better phrase, kind of got to know where the rules and the boundaries are. Yeah, because you need some rules and boundaries, right? As an artist, what you want to do is you want to think freely and you don't want this other noise to disturb you, right? And life can sometimes be beautiful and sometimes be noisy, you know? And so the more you think about how can I organize this, what can I do to, to get things in order so that I can make more art? I have more time to make more art and that's really the ultimate goal. You merge a lot of ancient Assyrian history with, obviously, modern art. Uh, What, if anything, do the history books or even modern publications say about Assyrian art or artists? You know, a lot of that, a lot of that, um, a lot of those books, a lot of those publications really speak to the military conquest that Assyrians went through. They're not so much talking about the composition or the cultural significance or their treatment of let's say space and time um so you really a lot of those these books are are somewhat repetitive in nature as far as information i like to look at those books not so much to read the info but to see what type of pictures they've taken because that's your closest um that's the closest thing that you have to studying the actual art. And some of these books have taken really clear pictures. You look through them, you could see the detail, you know exactly how, how it was carved and, and um, what type of stone they used and that sort of thing. Are we now, uh, as a people, perhaps too fixed on replicating pieces of the past, you know, like the famous winged bull, and not creating enough original and contemporary pieces? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we've gotten stuck in, in some regards. Um, you know, we have a, a great ancient past, but then we also have a, a modern, modern culture too that we need to start exploring. You know, I'm often bored by some of the work that I see out there, right? Uh, because it's, a, it's, it's the same thing over and over, right? Like how many Assyrian stars are you going to draw? How many wing bowls are you going to right. really piece together, you know? Um, we need to look at these elements and try to reinvent them in order for them to continue to live, right? And it's up to the artist to look at them, reference them and say, I'm going to take this apart and see if I can create something new. Even better, I'm going to try to incorporate it into another culture or bring another culture's motifs into my own and create something new from there, right? Without this concept of newness, I think you're going to run into repeating yourself. Same formula over and over and over and over. And it's up to the artist to say, you know what, I'm going to do something brave. I'm going to do something that I don't care if people are going to like or not, but I'm going to express my own unique voice. I'm going to try to do something that's different from everyone else. I'm going to try to, you know, push the limits as best as I can so that something new is born. Does your career currently also allow you to incorporate Assyrian inspiration into your designs? Yeah, sometimes. You know, when I take on design gigs that are that are for the Assyrian community, absolutely. You know, you're 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 designing with that cultural lens on, right? Uh, but you know, my nine to five job doesn't really allow me to to incorporate some of, let's like, say, the the pattern motifs that I've designed or some of the uh, other pieces of work that I've done into into the food packaging, uh, um, you know, uh, designs that I that I want to bring to to market. Has know? there ever been a time where you've sort of um, I, I don't know how much you do on let's say the pitch side of things, mm -hmm. but do you ever pitch, hey, this type of theme or uh, pattern would look nice and it just happens to be an Assyrian themed thing to a customer or anything like that? I haven't yet, but I do think there are there are some brands out there that are that are slowly growing that are that are um, by Assyrians. Okay. Some food brands out there that are by Assyrians. And I think, you know, there's an opportunity to not only create a beautiful design, beautiful branding behind it, that allows you to tell a story, but to also sell a product. And so I'm looking forward to potentially working with some of those brands to inspire this, uh, to incorporate this work that I've done into into the products that they want to they want to eventually bring to market. Tell us about an art piece, or perhaps more than one art piece, that has had the most impact on you. Honestly, this is probably the toughest question that you, that that that. You that uh, you're asking me and it's a tough one man it's really a tough one you know lately it's been the pieta by michelangelo okay. okay so so the pieta is a massive sculpture piece that um that has mary holding the body of christ right and and mary is uh, twice the size of christ that lays in her arms if they were both standing and it's a piece carved out of marble and it's carved to perfection right if you ever uh, if you ever get a chance to see the piece, in my opinion, it's something when I when I look at art like that, I do see something greater than myself there. You know, the same way you listen to some classical music, whether it's Beethoven or Mozart or whatever it might be, you hear a second or two, you're like, wow, this this really takes me somewhere. So that that piece is one of uh, it's just a, a beautiful piece I mean it's just it takes me somewhere else when I see that piece and 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 not so much when I look at it from the front but a side view of it interesting right you you you, you see the volume involved in in what this artist had to go through to carve that masterpiece out of stone and where is that currently housed Sistine Chapel Sistine Chapel okay yeah. and then so when you first saw that you were immediately blown away by it. I well, immediately blown away. I've never seen it in person. You've never seen yeah, it. Yeah, you see it. Though. You see it in pictures. So just in the pictures just alone. Just in the pictures alone, away. and of course you study it. You go online. And you find the high resolution version of that of that uh, piece, and you know the internet has, you know, it's like your gateway to yeah. actually being there in person, right? In some regards, so you see different angles of it, and you study it, and the drapery, the way that it's carved. It's absolutely wonderful. Also, the work that um, early impressionist work too, I think, is really beautiful work. Really, um, you know, they what they've done 
since then is they've basically taken art to a new level. And what I mean by that is during that time frame, photography was kind of coming to life, right? So artists were being forced to look at the world a little differently. And so the impressionist invented a way to look at the world a little differently. And so you see depth, you see a lot of um, atmospheric space, you see a lot of color shifts, a lot of unique colors that you can't even name in, in, in some of those pieces. And, and they're playing with your optics, right? Like you think you're seeing a blurry picture, but you get closer and closer to it, you become a part of that world. Mm. So I think they're, they're, it, you start seeing this theatrical almost uh, play in some of these early impressionist pieces, right? And then more recently, you look at the work of Picasso, let's say. Right. I mean, that's that's some beautiful work, starting from his Cubist work all the way to the work that he did, you know, the last five years that he that he was living, you know, what we call now post-expressionism. Right. The work that Basquiat was doing in the 80s was kind of he looked at some of the late Picasso work that that was being done. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough question, but but uh, I look at both the classical Renaissance time time period all the way to, to modern and contemporary art, and, and you do see some beautiful work. You brought up Picasso, which actually just kind of reminded me. Uh, there's that famous sculpture that's in downtown Chicago uh, that I personally have never really understood, I guess, for right. a lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. When you see that, what... What sort of feeling does that invoke inside of you? I see a lot of imagination in that type of work, right? Like this guy dug deep in that imagination of his and pulled this thing out, you know? And um, that piece alone, if you read about it, it's basically a view. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a frontal shot of a woman from different angles. But it's always that it's always from the front, whether it's a little higher, a little lower. So I look at a piece like that. It, it's not only compositionally well-made, but it's balanced, it has contrast, it has form, it has shape. It lacks color, but when you look at it during the day, the color of that material can change. Uh, if you look at it during the winter, it could also change. So it has, it has really some beautiful qualities that as a piece of art in the middle of downtown Chicago, uh, I think has brought a lot of uh, beauty to that area there. Now going back to your uncles that you had mentioned, you kind of cover all the realms of art, you know, music, poetry, and, and design. So design, drawing, painting, they're all a vast part of your art portfolio, but you've also made music, and I don't know if everybody knows that. So tell us about the two albums that you've produced via Kanara Productions. So Kanara Productions was something that I started back in 2004. Right. And this was just a hobby. I wasn't, you know, I'm not a musician. I, I studied piano with Rabi Rassan for two years. I jokingly like to say that I was his worst student, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so that was, that was my, you know, stint at being a musician for, for those two years. Um, so Kanara Productions in 2004, my uncle Shilam Bishmo produced, I helped him produce his uh, last album, Booni Babuna, right? And uh, it was the first album that we, the first Assyrian album that we got up on iTunes, made available on iTunes. And it was also an enhanced CD as well. So you put it in your computer. We had behind the scenes videos and photos and what we did, you know, you know, on the production and a whole bunch of stuff. And what we both agreed to is we wanted to show people the process, what it took to produce an Assyrian album, right? And the second album that I produced was for Rabi Rassan Bityonen, who is an Assyrian composer and teacher. He teaches at the AUAF, uh, guitar, voice, and piano. So he's a composer that in, in the early 80s wrote a piece called uh, Theme and Variation in Four Movements. Uh, it's a piano piece that, uh, that I helped produce for him. So I, I got the funding together, went met with several individuals, raised the capital that we needed, and went and recorded it at, uh, at uh, CIC. And uh, my single biggest contribution to my community, in my opinion, has been Theme and Variation in Four Movements. You know, it took us three years to complete that album. It's a very difficult piece, but you listen to the second movement 
and uh, you get goosebumps throughout your whole body, man. You know, you listen to the end of the fourth movement, the grand finale. You see the power that Assyrian music can have, right? These four movements were based on ancient Assyrian melodies. Okay, and he took them and reinvented them. And reinvented them not in a in a in a, in a way that it, it lost its that it loses its um, Assyrian roots, but he infuses the Western motifs of music while still keeping that Eastern sound, and it's and it's a very beautiful, very very beautiful album. I'll make sure you get copies of both albums. Thank you. Sure. What was the most challenging part of recording and producing either of those two albums? The most challenging part for me was the marketing and distribution of these albums. That was something that I wasn't ready for. I wasn't very prepared for. I, I needed help and I didn't know who to go to or didn't know who to ask to help me in that endeavor back then, you know? So it wasn't so much the technical side of recording everything. It was after you're done, you have this finished product. Exactly. And you don't know how to get it out the way you want to get it exactly, out. Exactly, right? So Boonie Babuna was launched in 2004 and Theme and Variation was launched in 2007. And... After doing all the production work and post-production work and the design of the album and the printing and this and that, I was exhausted. You know, you, you don't have much space or room left to to go another round of, of, of promoting this album, you know, doing kickoff parties or, or whatever whatever the requirement is. So so I, I did lack in that part, you know, and I and I and I've I've always looked back and said, you know, I, I could have done a better job in that aspect. But they're both on iTunes. Okay. People can download them. People can listen to them. Uh, they're wonderful albums. And, and really the purpose of Kanara Productions back then for me was to produce Assyrian music that non-Assyrians could enjoy listening to, right? Because I always look at my culture and I'm saying, how can, I, how can I incorporate reverse assimilation into this process here for Nakhraya, for Americans or whoever to come and enjoy this culture? What do I need to do to do that? And so I wanted to develop Kanara. I developed Kanara Productions with the mind of producing well, well-produced Assyrian music that told a story, that had a nice cover, that had some information inside that the non-Assyrian can read and, 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 and understand where this person's coming from, what they're trying to do, etc. And that sort of leads us into the, the future generations coming up that'll hopefully be doing the same things. You've do some work with the Assyrian Universal Alliance Foundation, otherwise known as the AUAF. Uh, tell us some of the results of that partnership. So I, I came to AUAF, um, I think it was around 2016 or maybe 15, 2015 I think it was. And, and they brought me on board to do their branding work, right? So uh, a new board came into, uh, came into power and they needed to really revamp the place. So I was hired to do their branding work. Uh, I got to work with Tigla Asabi, who is also an Assyrian composer, and Joseph Badalpur, who is a stained glass artist, who is also a board member. So uh, Tigla is the uh, not only a board member, but he's also the founding uh, member of the uh, music program. And then Joseph is the founding member of the art program, right? So um, I did the branding work. We, we launched the new brand. Um, all was good, and then Joseph called me and said, "You know, I want you to, to 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 volunteer if you can your time to this art program. I need an assistant. I need I need somebody to help me with things." And I said, "Yeah, let's do it, right?" And it's been one of those uh, wonderful experiences in my life where you know you get to see these kids, man. You know, uh, we have about seventy students, wow. right, ranging from the age of eight all the way into their forties and fifties, right. So a majority of our students are between the ages of 8 and 18. And we teach art on Saturdays. We have four sessions. We teach art on uh, Mondays. We have a photography class on Mondays. We teach art on Tuesdays. And then we, we have an adult class for drawing and painting on Thursdays. All at the AUAF. Can I read you our mission statement real quick? Yeah, is that absolutely. Okay? So, so our mission is to teach, prepare, and launch the next generation of Assyrian artists by cultivating an artistic environment that inspires and supports the growth of Assyrian art. 
So the way we're doing that, the way we're supporting this mission statement is by having these classes, by also looking at our community and seeing who we can support. And the way we support these artists is uh, through this uh, art competition that we're having. The purpose of this art competition is to see who the artists are within our community. And at the same time, we have an exhibition space there at AUAF called the Studio Gallery that that basically showcases artists from, from time to time. Our last exhibition that we had was a, was a photography exhibition for the artist Sargon Saadi. We also had an exhibition for Paul Beitu. So we, we are trying to support this mission statement by teaching, preparing, and launching the next generation of Assyrian artists through this program that we have. So walk us through what a, a Saturday art class might look like for these kids and sometimes adults. So you come into this class, you, uh, the kids get dropped off by their parents, and uh, it's an hour-long session, and we're teaching them the basics of art. Right, so you have a mannequin or you have a still life and we're going through and teaching them the, the, the principles of, of drawing, line, shading, perspective, shape, color, all these basic principles in art we're teaching them. And we're seeing some kids uh, excel more quickly than others and so we're taking them to the side and saying, listen, we're going we're gonna, to uh, provide you with this exercise, why don't you do this? Because kids learn at different levels, right? Yeah. And what we're what we're coming to to realize is we have some really really talented kids in this program, to the point where I do believe from this program we will probably get at least a dozen artists out of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. If if they stick with it, right? Right. If their parents don't tell them, you know, don't study art. It's not gonna make you any money, man. You know. But then you got a guy like me who is chirping in their ears saying, hey, you're really good. I really like your work. You know, you want to see some of my work? I'm, a, I'm also an artist. So you want to influence them at an early age and you want to give them examples of, you know, of, of, of yourself. Like, hey, I'm actually an artist. I'm working. I'm, I, I have a job as an artist. Let me show you what I've done. So I tried to have some of those conversations with some of these kids that I know are real talented so that uh, they don't forget you, right? Like when I was growing up in Greece, I remembered my dad playing my uncle Schliemann's record, you know? And I remember that music. I grew up with that music. That's why I have such a love for it. So trying to get these kids at an early age, trying to teach them the importance of art, right? I understand that a lot, not a lot of them are going to be artists, but at least they're going to grow up with this appreciation of knowing what art is, you know, what, what is their connection to that art, etc. Do you find that a lot of them tend to gravitate more towards... Uh, one sort of concentration over the other, whether it's photography over painting or drawing versus something else. No, we have really a mixed bag. I mean, a lot of a lot of kids in the, in the program um, gravitate to a lot of different uh, concepts, whether it's abstract or or um, uh, you know realism or something uh, very classical in, in, in composition and in structure. So yeah, it, it just varies from, from person to person. Although there are there is a big movement right now in our community with younger folks, ki- kids that are like in, in their teenage years, to photography. That's why we started offering this photography class on Mondays because we're seeing a lot of kids, you know, get into art, photography, cinematography, that, that sort of thing. So we wanted to support that as well. That's excellent. I mean, I, you may have covered this. Uh, we were talking about a lot of everything that's going on at the AUAF, but do we see some of your design work as well in that building? So the design work that you see in that building is the uh, the branding that I did, right? The logos, the signage, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. And do you ever get throughout all of this, whether you know this the volunteer work, the art, your full time job? Do you ever just kind of sit back and get feel burned out or lose the passion and motivation to create? Yeah, man, sometimes, especially during the winter. The winter, I grow a long beard, I let my hair grow out, and I, yeah. I, I go in hibernation mode. A lot of my friends and family know that. Uh, I struggle with depression sometimes. I, I struggle with mood swings. That's just that's just how it is. And 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 um, you 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 experience it. You go through it. It it, it comes and goes. But uh, 
Do you feel like you just have to um, bide your time until you're back in that groove? Yes, sir. That's or is exactly there, what is I there do. anything specific that you do to get yourself back in, or you no. just know a week from now, a month from now, I'll I'll be right back into the swing? You of just things. let it pass. Yeah, and it usually doesn't take more than a day or two, sometimes a week. But um, yeah, you do. I do feel burnt out sometimes. I'm always thinking. I'm always in this mode of making. You know. Even, especially when I'm alone, especially when I'm alone, I'm always composing, coming up with new ideas. I've gotten I've gotten in the habit of jotting down my ideas using using my phone, you know, to not to not lose lose this concept, this idea. Maybe it'll take me somewhere. I'm always tinkering, and I've also gotten in the habit of watching documentaries at night mm. with the hopes of falling asleep and you know having a dream about something great or another idea coming to life. So. So this this thing this art thing I've made it a part of my life, a hundred percent, fully committed to it, and then you do that through this type of discipline. You know, you it, it brings joy to your life, or at least it brings joy to my life when I'm around art, when I'm creating and making. Going back to you mentioned that you were originally an econ major because you have this natural entrepreneurial spirit. How do you decide what artwork to sell on your website? Because there is a shop portion on your website where people can buy some of that art. How do you decide what makes the cut, what doesn't? I'm going to start selling everything because I'm running out of space. Excellent. That's going to be my motto for uh, 2019. I need to start selling my ceramic work. I need to start selling some pieces that I'm very close to. But at the same time, I want to make sure I sell them to the right person. I don't want somebody to get bored of my work, right? Uh, but if I do sell it to you and you decide to, to, to sell it or to auction it off, I hope you make money at the same time, right? Like I, I want it to go in the hands of somebody that if there is, if there is that potential of them selling it one day, I hope you make a buck or two, you know? So, so yeah, I definitely want to sell more work. I want to, I want to have a second source of income coming from my artwork and, and the things that I'm making. For the last maybe 15 years that I've been producing work, it's only the last two that I've actually started selling stuff, you know, through my website. And I'm getting better and better at it. I'm starting to do a little bit on the Facebook side, targeting not only the Assyrian community, but also the non-Assyrian community through it to see if I can show people the work that I'm doing and this great culture that we're all a part of. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and then boom, right there on the living room wall is something that you sculpted, something that you painted? Yeah, a couple of times. Is that is that weird or is it's that a, an awesome feeling? It's an awesome feeling. What's weird about it is that it just it catches it catches you off a little bit. You're like, well, what is that? And then you realize that it's your work. <laughs> that I mean, you you have a connection to it. It's in your memory, but then you don't know exactly what it is. It's a little weird. But then seconds later, you come around to to to, to knowing that oh, that's one of my pieces. That's mine, you yeah. know, that's mine. Yeah, it's a very cool experience. And I tell people, listen, don't buy my work if you're not gonna put it up. I don't need the charity. You know what I mean? You're gonna buy my work, put it up. Yeah. If you're not, if if you get bored of it, sell it or get rid of it, throw it out. Don't just put it in the closet. Sure. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that with some of your ceramic work that you are sort of attached to, I never really even began to think about that. There's certain works of art that I'm sure that you feel very attached to, very close to. Um, what kind of helps you get over the hump of not wanting to kind of keep that to yourself and putting it out there for sale or for display it somewhere else? You know, finding a good home for them definitely helps. Yeah, finding a good home, somebody that can appreciate the work, somebody that could potentially take that work and maybe elevate it even more, maybe, you know? Does that bond sort of form as soon as you're done with something and you look at it and you're like, wow, I want to keep this one forever? It does, absolutely. That's how that's how it starts. I mean, some work I'm not really that attached to, but some other work, it, it just it comes together in my mind perfectly. You know, all the aspects of art are there for me in, in, in some pieces. It doesn't lack anything. And so those are the pieces that I'm closest to. I and think, I'm not going to tell you which pieces those are. You'll have to figure that out for okay. yourself. <laughs> Interesting. I think I'm going to know the answer to this one, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Do you think it's important for Assyrian artists to pursue the arts professionally? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's crucial to the existence of our identity 
for a Syrian artist to pursue this profession professionally, right? You can't half-ass it by any means. Either you're going to be a full-time artist and struggle through and eventually make your way, or you're just going to do it as a hobby. And, 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 and maybe both are okay. I don't know. I'm not trying to dictate one or the other. But if you're going to pursue the arts professionally, you have to study it. Right, you have to be disciplined in making the work, and you always and there has to be a sense of humbleness that comes along with it as well. I guess I'm going to attempt to play devil's advocate here because I actually agree with you, but sure. I'll try to take the flip side of it and say, let's say I come from a position of I have a, a high paying job in finance. And I just kind of think the, the arts are, are sort of nonsense. It's like, look, we need political involvement. We need capital. Uh, we need to move people back to the homeland. Uh, everything else that you've possibly heard, what good is art going to do for Assyrians? Look, all those things are fine. Um, you know, you, you need politics. You need religion. You need all those things. I mean, you got to be entertained somehow, right? So what better way to, than that stuff? Uh, but art gets at the core of making and in order for an Assyrian to live, we have to make. Whether it's a painting, it's a sculpture, it's, it's clothing, you know what I mean? By making, you're taking a physical stance. You're saying, I'm going to continue to be Assyrian because I'm producing something physical. Right? So, so by being able to make through that process any type of art, and I'm, I'm not saying just Assyrian art. You don't have to be making wink bowls or mm -hmm. whatever. But I'm saying as an Assyrian, you're making, you're producing things. That's what's important. And the way you do it is through this vehicle of art or music or literature. That's why art is just as important, if not more important, than politics and all this homeland stuff and all this, all this other stuff that you just mentioned. In the end, whether an Assyrian is designing stuff, painting singing, acting, directing, uh, telling jokes at a live mic or playing an instrument. What's the ultimate advice that you have for all the Assyrian artists out there? Discover your own unique voice. Have strong work ethic. Learn and study other cultures, which is very important, right? Not just your own culture. We, we, get, you we get it. You like being Assyrian. Okay, fine. But what about all the other cultures out there? What can you learn from them? right and stay humble i mentioned this earlier right stay humble you know nobody cares about your art other than you so don't diminish that art that you're making by being cocky or arrogant you know be respectful of the people that want to come and look at your art want to come and give you feedback i think i think those are really important things but again i go back to that uh, to, 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 to discovering your un a unique voice for yourself in order to do that, you have to go through this journey of experimentation. You have to go through this journey of living. You have to live your life, you know? At some point in time, you have to tell your parents or your loved ones or whoever, nah, you know what, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go in this direction and see where it takes me. You have to be a rebel, no pun intended, right? But you have to be a rebel in life to really, really get to that point. And we often, you know, negate our instincts. You know, if your instinct tells you to do something, follow it. See where it takes you, you know? Look at what the missionaries did, um, the, 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 the Church of the East missionaries did with Christianity, how far they spread it, right? They, they took it all the way to India and China, and etc. These people took a risk, right? They took a risk in a sense that they, they didn't know what they were really up against, but they were passionate and they were willing to take on that journey to, to get their message across, right? So as an artist, you have to be able, you have to be ready to take that journey. You know, if you don't, find another profession. There's a million of them out there. I'm going to end with the final few laid-back questions for you. Uh, I think some people who ask these questions are, are hoping for certain answers, but we'll see about that. Anyone who follows you on Instagram knows that you're always reading. We we're actually hanging out in your house right now. And you showed me the, the porch outside that you like to sit outside and you like to read. Right. What's a book that you keep going to time and time again? So two books. One of them is Isaac the Syrian. 
This is a great book. Okay. All right. This book, I'm going to probably have to read two or three more times because it's so dense. How many times have you read it so far? I've read it so far one time. Okay. Yeah, only once. And then another book called The Church of the East, An Illustrated History of Assyrian Christianity. Okay. This is a book by Christoph Balmer. This is in uh, the second edition was, uh, was released probably six or seven months ago. It's available on Amazon and it's not a hardcover. It's a... Um, it's a paperback paperback yeah okay. and and it's a great book both of these are religious books I, I get it and I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, by any means the most religious person in the world you know but man this book this this Church of the East book here in my opinion is really a a, a history uh, a, a mo- the modern history of Assyrians is okay. what this is are you mostly... told through the lens of, of, of Christian of Christianity right right are you mostly a nonfiction reader? Do you like to sprinkle some fictional stuff in there too? I'm trying. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to to, to read more 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 um, fiction, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just I've gravitated more towards uh, you know mysticism and and art, design, um, history, Assyrian history. I, I still feel like I have a lot more work to do in that uh, in, in in that um, area. But fiction is cool too, man. I mean, you have you have some great authors out there that could easily transport your mind somewhere else while you're reading. If you ever need pieces. any recommendations, just right here. Awesome, cool. <laughs> I'll take you. Up and on I know this question completely unfair. No matter who we ask ask it to, that you could name a million people, but favorite Assyrian artist? Nahran Maliki, Hannibal Alchas, Paul Beitu, Fred Farhad, and most recently Atra Yivargis. Their work is unique and filled with imagination. There are many other artists out there too that I'm not mentioning that are great. But lately I've been studying the work of these few individuals and and I love that they're all so different from each other and that each and single artist has a unique voice of his own or her own. And lastly, but not least, your favorite Assyrian Instagram account to follow. Mesoportrayal. Come on, man. You're supposed to say Assyrian podcast. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, Mesoportrayal. That's one that I started following uh, about a month or so ago now. That's a, that's a really good account. Just really good account. That. So I, their curation is on point. These guys are finding anything Assyrian or Mesopotamian related and they're posting it. And oftentimes I go to them for inspiration, right? You post, they, they, they find stuff that you don't even think exists. And um, it's really wonderful what they're doing. You know, they're, they're I think, the hipsters of, of the Assyrian uh, generation, if you will, because they're, they're posting some pretty cool stuff. Nice. Yeah. Rebel, I want to thank you. This You are not only a talented artist and a creator, but you are a talented motivator. You've definitely sparked a fire in me to maybe try a few different things that I've I've had kind of stored away for a little while. And I wish you all the best. And uh, maybe there will be a round two at some point in the future. But thank you very much for your time. Let's do it. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. 